Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Dominic as he teaches us from our Pray Like Paul series. Last week we had the pleasure of Pastor Ben opening this series on prayer, and ultimately he discussed why we pray. This morning we're going to discuss how we pray. We pray to our Father, and we pray with dependency. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians. It's only half of one verse, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And as you're turning there, I'd like to compare two poems. The first poem was written by William Ernest Henley, and you've probably heard it before. I imagine you've heard both of these before. And it's called Invictus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It opens like this. As he opens his theme, out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And in the second stanza, he talks about how he stands firm in life's unpredictable circumstances. In the third stanza, he talks about how he's fearless when he faces off with death. And then he closes with his life motto. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now let's compare that, that tone. Let's compare that heart to another poem. And this is one I'm sure you've read before. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during most of the troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand. Why? When I needed you most, would you leave me? And the Lord replied, My son, my precious child, I love you. I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. The first person is trusting in his own fortitude. I've got this. This all comes down to how strong I am in the face of life and in the face of death. And the second is completely dependent. Which of these attitudes do you think pleases God? Which of these attitudes opens up the door for relationship? Which of these attitudes can truly endure real suffering? And for our theme this morning, which of these attitudes can really find rest? You ever been to Disney World? Have you ever seen those poor parents that traveled from the other side of the world and spent like a, a year's salary to get there with their little kids. 
and this turned out to be the worst experience of their lives? The problem is they brought their kids. Husbands, take your wives at Disney World and have a blast. Hire a babysitter. You're spending enough money anyway. But you see the kids dragging, they're pulling the parent, right, all over the place, right? And the kids all yank, and the parent, you see, they're exhausted, and the kid's pulling and pulling. But then fast forward to the fireworks at night, and where is the kid? He's like unconscious, and the father's like dragging him like this, right, as he holds the kid. So many times in our prayer, we're just like that. We're trying to pull God wherever we want to go. This is shiny. This looks fun. This is what I want. And we're pulling. How exhausting is that? When we spend our whole lives, every minute of prayer, pulling our Father. You know where we actually find rest? Where we actually find rest is when we depend on Him. When we rest in Him, we let Him carry us. And we trust that he is already going someplace that's better than what we think and see. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it's so simple. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's where we're stopping this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. How do we pray? We pray to our Father. You see, right now, Paul is in the context. He's praying for a church this church in Ephesus, and right now they're oil and water. They're Christians coming from a Gentile background, and Christians coming from a Jewish background, and they're just conflicting. And he's praying that they would be a united family. For this reason, he's coming to the Lord. He loves them. He hurts for them, and he knows exactly where to go. Paul is sitting in chains in Rome, but he still knows exactly where to go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. How do we pray? We pray to our Father. He doesn't approach God as a friend relationship. He doesn't approach God in the relationship of a sibling. He doesn't approach God in the relationship of, of a spouse. He approaches God in a very specific relationship that is from cover to cover, saturating his revelation to us. He comes to God as a son. He comes to his Father. This is a... This is a, a doctrine in Scripture that we downplay. It's like we take everything else in Scripture and we take our fathership of God and we add it to it. When in fact, the fathership of God and our being in His family is the foundation that everything stands on. We have nothing apart from being a part of the family of God. Everything that Christ earned for us on the cross was so that we could be in His family, so that we could have God as our Father. Everything rests on this. This is how Jesus even teaches us to pray. Pray like this. Our Father, who's in heaven, may your name be made holy. Knowing God as our Father is the climax of God's redemptive work in humanity. It cannot be overestimated. How does God become our Father? That's so beautiful. So Paul is writing in Rome, or writing to the Romans in Rome. And in his day, there was a rash of children dying. So it became very popular for wealthy families who wanted to have an heir 
to adopt. Adoption was becoming a very popular thing so that they had someone that could inherit the family's goods and carry the name to another generation. Now, there was a process about this adoption. The, the, the man who wanted to adopt would find this boy. He would choose this boy to adopt him, and he would take him to a panel of witnesses who were validating that this was happening. And after the panel of witnesses, the father would go to everyone the young man owed money to and pay off his debts. Starting to get chills. And then he would take and sign the documents of airship. All of his belongings were going to this son. And if at some point along the way, the father had another child, another son, he would not displace the adopted one. They would become co-heirs, equal. In every way, when this boy went home, he was going home to a family, recognizing him as a blood son of the father. And then Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8. Ah. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. If you want, you can turn there fast. I think it'll be on the screen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You do not receive the spirit of slavery, debt, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness. The panel of witnesses. And with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow joint heirs with Christ. How do we come into God's family? He adopts us. He says, you, I pick you. Let me wipe away your debt. I'm bringing you home. You're, gonna live. You're my daughter. You're my son. And because of this relationship, everything else in our faith becomes possible. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places becomes possible. And I'll give you two, and then I'll just rapid fire a bunch of other ones to you that I would love to stop and look at Scripture after Scripture after Scripture of why and how it connects to our family relationship. But I'll give you two right off the bat. The first is that because of this relationship, we have a relationship. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine, we're going back into the days of kings and queens and, and knights in shining armor. Imagine this banquet hall, and it's enormous. And it's full, there's, there's a long table, and it's full of dignitaries and princes and governors, everyone who's the who's who. But down at the end of the table down there sits the great king. And there's hustle and bustle, and people are talking and they're eating, but at the same time, everyone is on edge. If the great king stands, everyone quickly stands. If he sits down, everyone sits down. If he speaks, they all, they all listen and get quieter because they need, they, they want the reputation. They, they want to be favored by the great king. And as you're sitting there and you're, you're watching all of this, suddenly at the end of the hall on this side, the little door opens, the big door opens, like that. It wasn't open long enough for a human to come through. It catches your attention. And then suddenly between shoulders, you just see fluffy hair. Right? Between those shoulders, between those shoulders. And suddenly at the end, the great king smiles. And he bends over a little bit and lifts a child up into his lap. And everyone gets quiet. Why? 
what access does this child have? Everyone else is on edge. They all want to. They all want to have this great favor of the king, and yet this child bypasses all of them to climb in to their father's lap. Because of what Christ has done, because of our adoption, we have a relationship, and it's that relationship that we grow in for the rest of our lives and for eternity. Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That sounds like prayer to me. 1 John 3.1, see how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He makes himself accessible to us by our adoption. When we say Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, what kind of relationship are we talking about? This one. Not, bro- not brothers, not friends. No, fathership. We come before our Father. That's how we approach Him. And that's how we can find rest. Because we can climb into the lap of our good and loving Dad. The second thing that He gives us is provision. I had a teacher who was a missionary. Incredible story. But he and his wife decided to adopt a little boy from a third world country. And they're having their first family meal, and they're in America. Their first family meal, and their meal is at the table, and it's around a bucket of chicken. And so chicken had been distributed to each of his own kids and his wife, and and this new little kid is just destroying the chicken. He's eating it up, right? And and my my, my professor is, is eating his own, he's focusing, and suddenly he hears the sound of crunching. And he looks up to this little boy, and the little boy had started to take the bones and was chewing the bones. It just struck him. Things are different now. So he reaches into the bucket of chicken, and he puts another piece of chicken on the kid's plate. The kid's eyes get big. And he puts another piece of chicken, and soon he's unloaded the entire bucket of chicken into a mound on this kid's plate, and the kid is sitting there with these huge eyes, right? And then he looks over, and he points at him, and he goes, I adopted you. Everything in that refrigerator belongs to you. I've given you my name. Everything you see belongs to you now. Because of our relationship with our Father, we have provision. He cares for us. We just read this, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after that stuff, but your heavenly what? You see, it all comes down to the relationship. It doesn't say you're heavenly God. It doesn't say you're heavenly king. Those are true. But Jesus is trying to pull us in to say, you have nothing to worry about. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he reads again, or Jesus preaches again, for which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your, your Father, your Father, who is in heaven, gives good gifts. Like we, sometimes we, we read Scripture desensitized to this, and yet it is the most critical, foundational truth that we can have. When you pray, we're praying to our Father. Take for a second, let's, let's create a scale up here, right? Let's, Scale. Let's put on this side of the scale 
every weight you came in with. Right here. Here's, here's the prayers for healing. Here's the, the relationship that is just broken and won't be healed. Right here is the fears for the future, the financial problems, everything. Let's tip this scale. Let's throw everything we have onto this side of the scale. Go ahead, imagine it. What's on the side? Now let's place on this side what our Father has at His disposal for His children. The boundless storehouses of His power, of His supply, of His love for you. That side becomes a catapult. Whenever we recognize who our God is, He's our Father. And He loves you. He gives us relationship and He gives us provision. Let me just rapid fire some things. There's scriptures for every one of these and it's so beautiful. Because of our adoption, we have a family right here, the body of Christ. We have protection from evil. We have a new identity in his name. We have training for godliness. We have assurance of our salvation. What does Jesus say? He says, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. We have an inheritance. We have a code of conduct. We're now representing our father. Every aspect of the Christian reality stems from living in his family. Therefore, when we pray, we're no longer praying to a distant God who we hope might take a minute to consider us. We're now praying to our Father. It changes everything. So how do we pray? First, we pray to our Father. And second, prayer is not control. In Ephesians 3, 14, he says, I bow before the Father. He doesn't say that the Father comes before me. I think that's important. Yeah, I'll be honest, I've changed a lot over the past years. I, I used to pray for something, and if I didn't receive it, uh, step two was pray with deeper fervency, pray harder, pray with more emotion. Uh, step three was if, if quality doesn't work, try quantity. Just pray constantly and constantly for this thing. And, and if, if quality and quantity doesn't work, let's, let's build up some voices. Let's get everyone that I can think of to come and, and pray for this thing for me. And if I really wanted to amplify my voice in heaven, I might, I might pray and fast or I might give a, a target offering. I might find target scriptures. And before I get escorted by the elders off the stage, I want to say that all of those things are good. All those things are biblical and they honor God. But I'll tell you what was sinful. What was sinful was my heart. It was my heart that I was trying to move God to my will with those things. With things that God gave us to trust Him, I'm trying to use to control Him. 
prayer is not control. Remember how Jesus teaches us to pray? Our Father in heaven. May your name be made holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This has never been about my will. Prayer isn't getting our will into heaven. Prayer is giving heaven's will into us. It's a surrender. It's a dependency. And anytime we try to get God to do what we want to do, we're just revealing our hearts that what we think is wise, we think is wiser than what God sees. And what we think is good is, is better than what God deems is good. Anytime we try to, try to push. No, that's not what prayer is. Matthew 6, 7, Jesus exposes this very thing. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, unbelievers, do. For they think that they will be heard for their many prayers. So what's their strategy? Heap up prayers again and again and again and again. Why? What's their heart motive? Because they want to get what they want. How can we know their heart motive? Because Jesus compared them to Gentiles, unbelievers. Who's he comparing them to? He's comparing them to idol worshipers. We're not going to pray like those who worship idols, who worship in other religions and other false gods. The very core of idol worship is control. If you want children, you put offerings and prayers to the fertility goddess. If you want crops, you offer offerings and prayers to the god of wheat or the god of rain. Everything has to do with, I am trying to get my will done. And Jesus says, we're not going to pray like them. What does he say? Just go into your room, pray to your father who already knows what you need before you pray it. It flips everything upside down. We're not trying to get God to serve us. We're submitting to our father. There was a secular movement in the mid-1800s. And it was a mix of Buddhism, Hinduism. It, it wove in some New Age uh, philosophies. And it was pushed by this guy named Phineas Quimby. You can Google him later. Phineas Quimby. And Phineas Quimby allegedly healed himself of tuberculosis by mental visualization by declaration, and by having this, this positive thinking. And so all of his followers began to follow it, and the, the proposition was that powerful, positive thoughts could attract the universe's blessings and bring your desires into reality, and it was known as manifesting. The art of speaking something into existence by claiming what you want and believing hard enough that it was going to happen. But on the flip side, you have to be careful because if you have negative thoughts or you have doubts, you may compromise your manifesting. By the second half of the 20th century, the 1950s or so, popular books by pastors had begun to weave these philosophies into Christianity and began to change the language to sound more biblical. So instead of saying, you can unlock the universe's gifts by having enough positive thinking and block it out negative thinking, then you can have whatever you manifest, it might sound something like this. You can receive God's blessings by having enough faith, rebuking doubt, and then you can have whatever you pray for. You can have health, you can have wealth, you can have those things if you believe hard enough. And people flocked to it because of its promises. Because we want to be the masters of our fate. 
I had a, another professor, and he once said that the definition, the definition of witchcraft is the manipulation, the control of spirits and deities. We need to be careful when we're trying to bend God's arm to what we want. There's at least four enormous dangers with this kind of thinking, this, this uh, Christian form of bringing God's blessings by the power of faith. First, it creates a false view of God. He's a king. He's not a genie. He has us in his hands. We, were, we never had him in ours. Second, this puts the focus on the blessings instead of on relationship. Our salvation is a relationship, not getting what we want for this temporal world. We start focusing on his hands instead of his face. Third, it ignores the bounty, the bounty of scriptures that teach that suffering is part of the Christian experience, experience by the permission of God for the shaping of believers. I think I need to say that again. Suffering is part of of the Christian experience by the permission of God for the shaping of believers. And if you're ready to argue with me, I turn you to Scripture. I got some verses right up here. Start in James 1, verse 2 through 4. God shapes us through the grinding of life. I know it's uncomfortable, but the Lord loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Fourth, this idea preaches the opposite of the meaning of the word faith. More faith, more blessings and bigger miracles. Less faith, less blessings and less miracles. Pastor Ben and I interviewed Pastor Matt Bell on a podcast about six months ago. And Pastor Matt Bell's father died on a Sunday morning in his office during a worship service. And when he went to look for his dad, he found his dad in his office, dead. When the ambulance arrived, he's doing chest compressions on an already lifeless body. People are in the office and they're praying. And Matt Bell sat across from a missionary at a table who looked him in the eyes and said, if you would have had more faith, your father would be alive today. Faith is not our power to move God. Faith is our surrender and dependency to Him and His will. It changes everything. Because there's no peace if it's on you. There's only peace if it's on Him. We have to stop trying to control. Our control is exhausting, trying to pull Him around. But there's so much rest when we say, Lord, I don't know why, but I know you. I can't change things. But you've never left me or forsaken me. And my life is in your hands, the only one who has control. What a God we serve. Saved by faith. Oh, think about this. More faith, more miracles, more blessings, less, less, less. What does it mean when Scripture says that we are saved by faith? If I can't heal my headache from faith, how do I know I'm saved? Like this is this is terrifying. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. Faith 
putting our faith in Christ, being saved by faith, is that we come to him and we say, God, I have nothing to offer. I am hopelessly wretched. And I have to trust. I have to trust that you love me. I have to depend that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. And I have to trust and depend that you did it for me. That's salvation. A beautiful picture of dependency in Scripture, and I think this is worth looking at together. This is in 2 Corinthians, and it comes from Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Maybe it's the first time you've read it in this lighting. Paul says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Look how the Lord responds. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness, in your suffering, in this situation right here, the situation that you haven't been able to pray yourself out of. My grace is sufficient. My power is going to be shown off through your suffering. What a place of rest for Paul. Sometimes our loving Father doesn't say yes. Sometimes he says, no, my child, you asked for the wrong thing. Like any good parent, God reserves the right to say, no, not that. I have something better. Often he gives us what we should have asked for if we had infinite knowledge rather than what we actually requested. That's a quote from J.I. Packer. Tell me something, which would show off Paul's faith more? That he would have faith and God would deliver him? Or that he would trust his God when he wasn't delivered? Which shows off God more? Which, which can the Lord use to build our trust in him? That he snatches us out of every problem? Or that he carries us through them? I know what feels a lot more close and intimate with my children. It's when I carry them. When they're, when they're crying or they're hurt or embarrassed. And instead of just yanking them out, I carry them. And we can feel the heartbeat of the Father. And we can feel His arms that He really is in control. And that's good. Prayer is not control. Oh, let's, let's surrender to him. Let's submit to him. Let's surrender every outcome to him. Let's surrender to his timing. Let's surrender and rest. Maybe one of the greatest expressions of faith is, is patience, is waiting on the Lord. Lord, this will be in your timing. It won't be in mine. I'll be obedient, and I'll bring my requests to you, just like Philippians says, but I trust you. Prayer is to our Father. Prayer is not control. Prayer is dependency. Here in Ephesians, we have the opportunity to peek in on Paul in one of the most intimate moments. Paul is in his prayer closet. His prayer closet contains a Roman soldier and chains. And we get to see how he prays. And we get to see 
and hear what he says. And where do we find him? We find him on his knees before his father. This is unique. Jewish men didn't pray kneeling. They prayed standing. But Paul is taking this posture of submission, of surrender, of humility. Now, whether we physically bow, that's, that, that's secondary. What matters is that we bow in our hearts, that we submit to him in here. It's a soul surrender. That we have no resources, that he has them all. We have no talents, he has them all. He alone supplies what a gorgeous picture that we have in Exodus whenever God brings the children of Israel out of Israel or out of Egypt, right? And they're in the desert. And what happens? They all get hungry. Oh yeah, God definitely let that happen. This was definitely part of the plan. But think about it. Think about being a parent who brought your child out. And it's been several days since they've eaten. Think about a, think about a parent wrapping your arms around your kid at night to go to sleep and thanking God for the blood over the doorposts that this child is still in your arms. And then suddenly this herald comes into your camp and says that God spoke. God has promised bread from heaven. And the herald's out there and he's like, we don't even know what it is, but it's out there. And here's God's command about it. God says that you're only to go out and collect enough for today, not enough for tomorrow. The only exception is the, is the day before the Sabbath. Collect twice as much. But today, collect enough for today. And so you as a parent, think about that. Think about taking your hungry child and you're going out and there's a hustle and a bustle where everything used to be quiet. And you're going out into the desert, into the wilderness, and there's this weird flaky stuff, but it tastes like it has honey and corner seed, and, and your kid's like eating it off the ground. You're like, oh my goodness, what is this? Who is this God that we serve? And so you fill up a bucket, and you fill up just enough for yourself, and you fill up just enough for them, but then you look over at your child, and you think to yourself, I've heard him cry in hunger too many times over the past week. Uh, no, I'm gathering enough for tomorrow too, just in case. And so you fill up your jar, right? And you go home and you eat like kings. Yeah! But the next morning you open the jar and it's full of worms and rotted and smelly. Why? Why is God doing this? He's teaching them something. He's, he's teaching them about himself. He's teaching them about how to follow their father. He's teaching them dependency. Day by day, dependency. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Give us today, this day, our daily bread. Jesus intends for us to think back to Exodus when he says that. Give us today. Prayer is dependency. Prayer is every day coming to him saying, Lord, I don't have the strength, but you do. I'm coming to you today. I surrender my day to you. I surrender my needs to you. It's all in your hands. I don't have control, but I'm trusting that you're my father. I'm trusting that you're going to care for me. I'm trusting that the storehouses of heaven are at your disposal out of your love for me, for my family. 
maturity in Christianity is upside down. I want my kids to grow up to be independent. I want them to be able to work hard. I want them to have respect for the people around them. I want them to have respect from the people around them. I want them to be self-sufficient. I want them to be able to do their own laundry, to sew, to cook. I want them to be good, to change the oil in the car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that when they leave my house, whether by their volition or mine, they're good. Dominic, last night, I was almost in tears with my wife. I don't want to leave someday. I want to stay with you. We'll see. (laughs) But in Christianity, it's upside down. In fact, we come to God as new believers, independent and self-sufficient. And we grow in surrender and sacrifice. And we grow in dependency. What does Jesus say? They brought kids to him. And he says, don't send them away. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because these children are angels, impure? No! Children are a mess. They're sinners who need Jesus. If you don't believe me, I'll take my wife on a date night. You can have five. (laughs) No, it's because children are absolutely dependent. Never once have my children woken up in the morning and said, I wonder if my parents will care for me today. I wonder if they'll feed me today. Never once. It's entirely dependency. That is the life of a mature believer is to know we have nothing and to put everything at his feet. How different is this from the messages of the world? Trust trust a different religion. Trust technology. Trust the next election. Trust this self-help podcast. Trust uh, some sort of raise in your job. Trust a therapist. Trust the dish soap commercial. Trust anything and everything that looks stable. But Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. All God has to do is shut his mouth of the breath of life and we become nothing. Our dependency is on him. He is sustaining us moment to moment. And the greatest example of dependency in God's word is Jesus. John 5, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees, look at that word again, the father doing. In Jesus' life, he rested in dependent prayer. He prayed amongst temptation before selecting the apostles. After preaching, he prayed before his trial, before his crucifixion. And what did he pray? Pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. This changes everything. If the Son of God lived his life in dependent prayer on his Father, and he knew he needed to pray, how much more should we? So what kind of prayers does God answer with a yes? Oh, here we go. Push record now, sell this, I'll be a millionaire. What prayers does God answer with a yes? 1 John 5, 14 through 15. Look at the language here. Every word is rich. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the faith, the surrender. This is the confidence that we have toward him, who our father, that if we ask anything 
according to His will, He hears us. That's where we rest. Who's actually in control here? So what, what is dependent prayer? I, I offer you this, this analogy. Imagine I'm carrying something heavy, if you could, right? Right here, this is, this is my worries for tomorrow. This is my insecurity, right here. This is this heavy thing that I'm carrying around. And as long as I'm carrying it, I'm trying to have control. I'm going to go where I want to go, right? But it's hard. I'm carrying this thing. Dependent prayer. Remember what Jesus said about the widow, the, widow, the persistent widow? She goes back again and again and again to this, this pagan king, right? We take our needs. And we come and we lay them down right here for the Lord. And dependent prayer is this. Father, here are my requests. Here's what I think is right. Here's what I think is good. I'm bringing them to you. You told me to bring you my requests. And now, I leave them there. And tomorrow, when I pick it up again and I'm trying to be in control, I come back and say, Lord, I leave these here. Lord, I leave these here. And I climb into your lap that you're going to go where I need to go for my good and for your glory. And it's out of your storehouses that you fulfill Romans 8.28. And I trust your love for me. Come to me, those who are weighted down, Jesus says. What's he talking about? He's talking about the religion of the Pharisees. He's talking about our burdens that we carry. Come to me, he says. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. Come and wrap yourself in the blanket of dependent prayer. Lay your head on the lap of your Father and rest. There are some in here that are weighted down by guilt that you're not good enough. Rest in the relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father. There are some in here who are exhausted from fighting for control. Rest in dependency on the faithfulness of your Father. And there are some in here who are twisted with anxiety over unanswered prayers. Rest in submission to an all-knowing, loving, sovereign Father. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak? Are we heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Our precious Savior is still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Living Word, who will you be today? Will you be the captain of your own ship? Will you be the son or daughter of your father?